All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Thanks for uh, hanging out. If you're new here, welcome. Just uh, hang out and listen. You know, uh, some of us have been here a long time. Some of us will be talking during this. But uh, if you're new, it's best to just listen. Uh, unless you have to, unless you, you really have to interject, go ahead. I know that I do at times, but um, I won't hear you. Today on the show, I talked to S.G. Goodman, who I love. Love her. She's a singer-songwriter from Kentucky who just released her second album, Teeth Marks. Her first album, Old Time Feeling, came out in 2020, and I got it from somewhere. It was sent to me. With some other stuff, I think, from her management company, the woman who also, I think, manages Jason Isbell and a few other people. But nonetheless, I've, I've had a relationship with, uh, with that company a bit in terms of them sending me stuff. And they sent me S.G. Goodman's first record. And I just listened to records, and it just struck me. Her voice, her songwriting, the feel of the music, it just uh, kind of leveled me. And I've been a fan ever since. So when this second album came out, I was like, holy shit. And it's great. But I got to talk to her and uh, it was a real uh, treat for me. Because, you know, there's people that do that kind of stuff, that music stuff. And she's sort of an interesting character, it seemed to me, living in rural Kentucky as a uh, gay woman who writes these profoundly uh, deep songs. I was curious as to uh, what she was like. I had no idea. So when I got the opportunity to talk to her, I was like, yes, please. So you'll be hearing that. This, I want to tell you, uh, I will be taping my HBO special on December 8th at the Town Hall in New York City. You hear me? Pre-sale tickets are on sale now. You can get the link at wtfpod.com or at Ticketmaster. The pre-sale is running until 10 p.m. Eastern tonight. The access code is the word TIME, T-I-M-E. I believe all caps. Why not do it that way? That's how it's written. Tickets are on sale to the general public starting tomorrow, Friday, at 10 a.m. Eastern. But get on board. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's a great venue. I played there for the New York Comedy Festival. And... Uh, and I'm going back. I gotta oil this. I got. I'm gonna oil it. Sorry, I'm gonna oil it. So, yeah. Since I got back from the run in uh, Lincoln, Des Moines, Iowa City, I did receive. For those of you who are concerned and in the loop about the budget tell, I did receive a receipt from budget, but I don't believe it was for the correct car. But I don't seem to. <laughs> I've not been charged anymore. Um, but it says uh, that your Nissan Rogue, AWD, has been checked in successfully. I didn't have a Nissan Rogue. I had a Kia. A Nissan Rogue was something I took and then gave back within hours because it, the oil light came on. But I'm glad you got it back that same day. Maybe these things just take a while to process uh, between here and Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know. But I'm glad to, that the rogue that I drove for an hour and parked in the exact same place that I took it from made it back. That was on Thursday. 
last Thursday. Oh, another thing I want to talk about real quick is that I'm very happy about Mr. Snake in the way that I'm getting a lot of emails and some DMs on Instagram. By the way, I joined TikTok. Doesn't matter. I, I don't. I my heart's not in it. I posted one video. I'm not going to chase it. But I'm there. Maybe if you follow me, I'll be incentivized. Not looking for. It doesn't matter. But I did it. But I get a lot of messages one way or the other from parents who are able to bond around my voice with their kid. Like I have fans who are grownups who now go to the uh, the bad guys movies and they and my voice is Mr. Snake and their kids like Mr. Snake. So there's sort of this weird bonding going on between two different versions of me talking. And apparently some guy, I couldn't find the, the DM. I, things get away from me. But some guy wrote me and said, that he was playing my podcast in his office or something in the house. And his kid came in and said, "That's do you know Mr. Snake? That's Mr. Snake. Do you know Mr. Snake? That the kid was able to identify my voice here on this podcast as being the same one as Mr. Snake, which is more like this. But it's interesting that the kid knew. Maybe it's not that different. I thought it was different. I was in character, man, but I love that. I love the uh, the weird bonding of kids and their parents around these two different versions of my voice. Okay, look, S.G. Goodman is great, and you should really just pick up her records and 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 take it in. She's the real deal, and uh, I was happy to get to talk to her because I've been a fan since I got that first record. Her new album is called Teeth Marks. And you can get it wherever you get music. And this is uh, me talking to uh, S.G. Goodman. One thing about me is uh, I'm terrible with song titles, album titles, and musicians' names, even band names. Yeah. So it's kind of like I'm not the best person always to talk to. I have my thing that I like and and, and that's, that's it that's the parameters kind uh, of and it's funny because everybody's like have you ever heard this song I'll say I'm not I don't think so and then they'll play it and I'll be like yeah I've heard that you know well I mean if you grew up in America mm-hmm. there's a handful of songs that you couldn't avoid exactly yeah. <laughs> so you know what they are yeah exactly but then you know if you get yeah I mean you just like what you like I mean I kind of I'm trying to spread it out I am too, and I, uh, that's this, you know, I'm out on tour by myself. It's the first time I've had alone time since January. No band? No band. Just you and the guitar? It's just me and a guitar. Huh. Yep. How's that going? It's, uh, I mean, there's elements of it, you know, if you're used to at least having an extra guitar player with you, you took away your security blanket, and it's just you. So it's a good character building exercise, but really I did this because I needed to be alone yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And I well I tour as a comic alone and I I love it. Yeah. I mean because even if you're just with one other person, like if I have an opener or something, we're in the yeah. car together. Mm-hmm. You're you're sort of being in relationship. A hundred percent, yeah. And and so you make decisions that you may not even really realize in relation to that dynamic, even if you're not on stage with the person. Exactly. And I struggle with codependency. Oh, terrible. Geez. I 
I had no idea I was code. I know I'm an addict. Yeah. But the codependency thing is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And I honestly, until this last year, yeah. I was, uh, I had the definition of it wrong. Yeah. Like, what'd you think? I it thought meant? it was like we depend on each other to get something done. <laughs> Not that, oh, this makes sense that I'm so worried to say my truth around you that it's going to hurt your feelings or that you compromise I'm, yourself. Exactly. And I do, I do that a lot. It's, and, yeah. You, mm-hmm. you, create uh like i noticed this a lot lately where you're you're creating a narrative you you're inventing a person that you're reacting to mm-hmm. you might you might not even be real they might not be thinking about that it's at speculation. all speculation but it's like it's weird natural yeah. thing where you erase yourself mm-hmm. to honor this idea that they might mm-hmm. take offense or think this or think that yeah yeah it's really conflicting with you know kind of like i'm a very mothery person yeah and so but with the way things have developed for me yeah in the last few years just with time and energy i have learned that i have to learn to set boundaries even like within myself you know oh you mean with you with me as far as drawing a line drawing a line with myself and with others and sitting with a lot of uncomfortable feelings of thinking that no they're not having a good time or something (laughs) so if i don't have Uh, my bandmates with me you know yeah i can i'm not i'm not worried about you know leaving a hotel and someone leaving something yeah. Or, yeah. or just a lot of different oh, things. It, it, you know? Exactly. It's And it's a relief. It's so nice. It's so nice just to be like, where do I want to eat? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> what am I going to do today? Exactly. I don't have to call anybody. Yeah. And, but you do things, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in a boozy world? Boozy? Yeah. As in like booze yeah. to drink? Yeah. Uh no. So the codependency didn't come up come from it wasn't, growing up like that. It wasn't anything like that. I think it maybe came more from just probably the family business kind of thing. Of, Wait, where, uh, where what was that? Farming. And you were where? Um Hickman, Kentucky. Do you have people in floods right now? No, actually um where I'm at it's more of a drought situation, or it has been. Oh. But Eastern Kentucky you're is still there? what you're thinking. I'm in Western Kentucky. Yeah. I'm in Murray, Kentucky, which is about an hour from where I was raised. I was born in Union City, Tennessee. I was just in Louisville. Oh yeah. Yeah. How did you? What do you think of that city? I thought it was good. I, I don't know that I had I had a great sense of it, but I definitely had. Um, Were you downtown or out? Okay, so I, yeah. pl- I played at the, that Kentucky Performance Arts Center there in, yeah. in the bon- the Bombard the Bombard Center the Bombard Theater about five hundred seater okay. nice little tiered theater. Uh, never been there. Oh, it's great. It was mm-hmm. great, but uh, I don't have a. I, I can't say I know exactly what was going on there. Yeah, I had a good view of the river, and there was a lot of Muhammad Ali around. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. No. Nope. Um, Louisville is a really cool city. It's an old city, and yeah. as far as architecture goes, it's more. If you get out of the downtown, it's more reminiscent some of the houses and stuff of like a older city like St. Louis or yeah. even a little bit Philadelphia, something like mm-hmm. that. But 
I think personally that Louisville aesthetically is way like better than Nashville or something. It just doesn't yeah. have the same I don't know stuff what's going, going on. I don't know what's going on in Nashville anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't been there in a while, but the last time I was there, I'm like, what are they building? Why is there a line at every restaurant? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's terrible. Like, so, it it wasn't know. exactly quaint, but it was certainly its own thing. It, it I, I lived there for about six and a half months in 2018 to yeah. 19. yeah. And in that amount of time, I mean, it's just become, I don't even like driving through there. The drivers are so crazy. And yeah. my rent for that one room is more than my mortgage in Kentucky. So uh, see, it's just, it's pricing everybody out. Yeah. They're, they're closing down like notable venues. Yeah. It's really not uh, as. They can it, close it, down that meet and three next to Carter's Guitar Center place. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what was that yeah. place called? Is it Arnold's? Arnold's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I went into, it's Carter's Guitars, right? Mm-hmm. Almost bought a gold top, like a real one. Oh, yeah. I think it was one of Ed King's. Oh, wow. I got reissued, I don't know where it's in the case. I try to get all my guitars for free if possible. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to get a lot of stuff for free. As you much know? free stuff as I can. Yeah. So farming, you grew up in a farm. I, I know you probably talk about this a lot, but it, it's like, I don't uh, I don't know what that's like or what that means to grow up on a farm. Yeah. How many people in the family? I am one of three kids. I'm the middle. Yeah. I have two brothers. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know... It's kind of Hickman is a, is a small place and probably less than definitely less than three thousand, maybe twenty five hundred people. You know, mm-hmm. and um, when I was born, yeah, uh, my dad and his brothers and his and their father still all farmed together. Huh. And what was had, the crop? So it was primarily like corn wheat soybeans and at one time that area was known for cotton and then the markets kind of changed at one time Uh they quit growing cotton there Uh and um actually when i was a teenager they started growing cotton back in fulton county and um yeah so that brings some ghosts with it yeah i imagine yeah i mean it's uh, it's uh it's just kind of a what do you mean by that well, I just mean that, you know, you associate cotton fields with slavery generally. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, that's a that's a reality, especially along the Mississippi River, which is where my home county yeah. is. Yeah. It's the most western, southern tip of Kentucky on the Mississippi River. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but mm-hmm. it's soybeans and corn, those are all kind of multi-use big business Yeah, they're mono, crops. it's monocrop. So, you know, my family, it's not, they're not small farmers. Right, and, right. Um, well, they are technically, but as, you know, when you tell somebody like, you know, when my grand my grandfather, he took his GI Bill and um, he worked with the TVA and, um, you know, saving money. But he was a farmhand uh-huh. for a man named Mr. Thomas in Fulton County. Yeah. And when Mr. Thomas retired, my grandfather, Bill, bought Mr. Thomas's farming equipment. Uh-huh. And that's when he became a sharecropper. Wow. And so that would have been... Did you know that guy? Yeah, I did. Um, he died when I was pretty small, but I do have memories. I was about four years old, almost five when he passed. But wow. yeah, he was, he was a... I think my grandfather was six four. 
big guy giant guy yeah mm-hmm. yeah so did you grow up driving tractors and stuff i did and uh you know it's this is really big equipment and i didn't i mean believe me that that work is is really hard yeah there, there was a lot of equipment that i didn't drive my mm. dad always wanted me to drive the combine yeah. he thought that would be a great job for me <laughs> but there's a lot going on there and yeah kind of scary um, but you got in there with him and oh yeah. yeah i loved going to the farm with him when yeah. i was little and you know at one point you know it's funny my dad and his brothers they would have seen agriculture change from cabless um equipment to where they have cabs and now you know my dad can oh things you have to trail you'd pull on the on the tractor as opposed to drive well as in like there was no cab covering you right um okay so you were in open air you know just breathing all the chemical or whatever sure so now when i was a child yeah so we were all in cabbed vehicles that must have been very exciting on the farm when the cabs came well i don't remember that but my dad (laughs) would sure yeah. yeah for sure i mean yeah and also power steering Oh yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, so your grandfather probably had made the transition out of some livestock pulling things, maybe or not. Yeah, quite. he worked mules. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then in, into tractors, and then into wow, the yeah. evolution of farm equipment. Yeah, just in you know pro- in my grandfather's lifetime, and, and and in my lifetime, something came along where it's uh, with when GPS kind of you know made its way into farm equipment um now you kind of grid your fields and the tractor will know the layout of the field and it'll line itself up so you have really straight rows oh that's good it's good i mean it's you know they do all that stuff to try to make things um more efficient and bring more yields sure now is your family still on the farm they are my oldest brother still farms with my dad and uh you know my like i was saying earlier my my dad and his brothers used to farm together but it was a a lovely southern uh drama of of the brothers not getting along and splitting everything up so and they did that oh yeah Definitely. So you don't talk to your uncle? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah, okay. it's kind of strange. Now, none of them talk to each other. And it's a, I mean, it really is like a Flannery O'Connor story yeah. because we, you know, they all live in the same county. So they yeah. definitely see each other probably every day. Do you know what it was over? I mean, you know, a, a lot of people, it's strange. As a kid, you know, you might think one thing but as an adult you realize that you got one of three stories yeah right yeah so like you you kind of have to and they're two sides at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right yeah i mean i would say so and and complicated and maybe they were you know at times too immature and where they were when it was happening to yeah try to figure each other out i don't know i just watched uh a, the straight story did you ever watch that david lynch movie mm-mm, mm-mm. it's so good mm. you've got to watch it it's mm. it's 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 that guy richard farnsworth he plays an old dude wow. who's got a beef with his brother and he's like 80 and you know you don't know ever know what the beef is about but he just gets on a driving lawnmower and okay. drives across like you know a state and a half wow to 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 go see his brother who had just had a stroke. It's one of the most beautiful movies. Huh. It's a David Lynch movie, oddly, but it's so uh, specific yeah. and moving. Yeah. Like, it's almost like he's driving that f- 
to pay penance. Huh. It's it's really something. Yeah, I'll check it out. It's or you'll actually have to write it down. Um, yeah, it's hard to find. I'll show. I'll take a picture of it for you. You can't yeah. even stream it. But I, you know, maybe uh, I'll give you the DVD if you because you're on the road. I don't know if you can watch it. Does your computer got DVD on it? Uh, no. Oh. Um, but maybe I can. I'll we'll see. I'll yeah. I'll try to figure out a way to watch it. But a funny thing, I, I don't. I don't really watch movies or TV at all. Yeah. Um, what do you do? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I work outside. I play music. But you on know, the road? Like, um, Don't watch a little TV in the so, hotel sometime, room? Sometime on, in, in the hotel room, yeah. I'll turn on... Uh, I like to cook. I'll turn on the Food Network, even though I you don't really learn a lot about cooking on there anymore. But it's fun to watch people cook. It is. You do pick up some technique and like understand. Yeah. But yeah, What I, do you like to cook? soups really i love to cook soups. do you make your own stock i make everything if i can what do you got for how do you make a like a beef bone stock a beef bone stock i really don't i'm not a huge red meat eater okay and also chicken no chicken yeah chicken yeah i'm not vegetarian it's just you know we used to always have like a cow killed or something like for between family or split it with another family but you can't you know murray we don't have a butcher right you know what i'm saying right. and i don't so i'm not home someone's enough to, gonna do it someone yeah well <laughs> uncle or brother's gotta yeah it out. if if they do that but i don't eat enough yeah like red i don't like burgers oh so you, you're not in the loop when they're like do you want a half a cow do you have a freezer exactly <laughs> i'm not gonna eat any of that probably but uh do you did you have cows on the property my mother's father had cows. And he was nearby? Yeah. Okay. We, My whole family lived in one county. They okay. S- still do. So someone had livestock, someone yeah. had vegetables. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we always grew a garden growing up. I would I would still grow a garden, but I, it would just die. So you never go, you didn't have to go to the store for much? I mean, we did, but yeah, yeah for sure. Did you sell your own produce and whatnot? Yeah, so... My dad would plant an acre of sweet corn for each of his kids, uh-huh. and um, you know you pick that by hand. Sure. And mm. so in the summertime, since I was a very very small child, we would do that for you know extracurricular money yeah. and also school clothes and supplies and stuff. Yeah. And it's terrible work. I don't even eat corn. <laughs> I don't eat it at all. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, no. You don't like it or. I, I hate it. It's hard to digest, I think. It is. And when I was a little girl... You hate it because of your past? Are well, you traumatized by corn? I'm totally traumatized by corn. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's... Yeah. Sometime you're out in the South and it's like, get out there about 1030 in the morning uh-huh. and just, just walk out in the middle of a cornfield yeah. and just <laughs> imagine, you know? It's terrible. I hated it. Um, but we would. Why? Because it's scary, or is there a n- smell to it, or what? N- no, it's just very uncomfortable, hot work. And oh, it's really right. hard. Oh, you mean just picking the corn? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. hard. It you know yeah. tears up your hands and yeah. your face, and Ugh. you have to wear long sleeves, and you have to. We would get up before the sunrise and be at the field when the sun was coming up because by the time. Uh, noon came yeah. around it would be too hot to be in the field right so you had to so get the corn in in the morning you get it in the morning while it's cool yeah and so it doesn't spoil yeah and then we would either 
we sold some like on the side of the road sure. but we would try to get people that wanted like a thousand ears or something and sell so it get, go quick yeah they always have that nasty worm at the top sometimes sometimes yeah, yeah. or there sometimes it'll have a fungus on it that kind of looks like a mushroom and if you touch it it'll poof into oh, like yeah, yeah, a little smoke air. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah. really gross and weird so okay no corn for you no corn for me what do you go what is, what do you go by in terms of is your name sg no my, my name is sg it is yeah as far as my initials for my right. name but yeah. you, that's what people call you yeah well music with music i mean at home no what do they call you at home uh-huh well my name is uh shana gale goodman shana gale he's shana gale yep. that's, that's pretty good mm-hmm <laughs> But yeah, I don't. You would have to have been a straight up country singer to be Shana Gale publicly. I know. Isn't it funny? I know. And it's also kind of funny. I get uh, asked a lot if I'm Jewish. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Wow. For Shana and Goodman. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's a no, I imagine. That's a no. Recovering Southern Baptist. (laughs) I can tell by the cover of the first record. I'm like, what's going on there? (laughs) Who's the snake guy? That's my dad. Mm-hmm. It's my dad, and that's a cotton mouth. Okay. And uh, so he was, but he wasn't. A, he's not a preacher. No, he's not a preacher. Did you grow up in Pentecostal Baptist? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Well, that's no, good. Southern Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mm-mm. good. Mm-mm. No snake handling. No snake handling. He he brought that home to show us so we wouldn't pick one up. Lesson learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when does? Because like I noticed, you know, certainly on the new record. Or on the well, this record they are different, I think, in sound, right? Don't you? Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. like, there's some more rockers on the new record. There's mm-hmm. a, the production is different, and uh, there's almost like a, a kind of uh, heavy poppy punk song on this one. Mm-hmm. But for me, that um, you were someone I loved song is kind of mind blowing, and I there's something about the the second half of it that feels you know almost uh you know like timeless and like um there's the you you have the singing thing that you do that seems to go back to some sort of appalachian gaelic (laughs) vocal Mm -hmm. tradition Mm -hmm. and you know i'm talking about that yeah definitely Mm -hmm. where does that come from in you you know um a lot of people ask me, do I remember my first concert? And I I don't, but I went to three a week at church. And um, right. when you hear like the old timers sing, yeah, yeah. You, you learn music that way. You learn the parts of music, not because they tell you this is the alto part. You know that by the person who sings it at, in your congregation. Right. So you start, you know, hearing it that way. And also... I think, you know, I've just been around a lot of older people all my life through church yeah. that, that sang in that tradition. It was the music I was raised on. and It was. And so it feels very much, I can't, I, I can Alive. never get away with it. Right. Or get away from it. Yeah. I can never get away from it. Well, it's sort of like that, but that's oddly, like, my education around that is only because of the roots of country music, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the Carter family's all about that stuff, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of history. Exactly. And there's a consistency to it. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely a, 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 a way of, of singing. Yep. And it was all mostly church music, those hymns and some of the Church music and, you know, like... My grandmother and and her siblings 
most older people I grew up around yeah. had a piano in the house. Uh-huh. And, you know, that was a form of, of entertainment. And, um, and so having family sing-alongs or whatever was something they were used to. That didn't happen in my family, like when I was a child, necessarily. Yeah. Um, now I have an aunt who would play piano and me and her daughters would sing yeah. in their house. I, my family has a piano in the house. It just seemed like everybody had a piano sure. in the house. Does anyone play in your family? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Yeah, both of my brothers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Good? Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Huh. Yeah. They're, they're both way better musicians than I am, for sure. But they didn't pursue it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So that's well, that's kind. Of, it's interesting. So in church, but there was was there more instruments in piano? Was there any guitars or banjos or anything? No, because you know, in my particular church, yeah. Southern Baptist, and even for that denomination, my particular church was yeah. very very conservative. So they didn't want any type of instrument that would evoke too much emotion. Don't, so, don't want anyone going crazy. No, we don't with want a banjo. You know, yeah. They just wanted to tell you, you know, they just wanted to preach fire and brimstone. That was the only emotion they wanted you to feel. You know, that kind of stuff. Did so. that? How did that dig into your brain? Did it? Did it get a hold on you? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it it um, I, you know believed uh that i had like a salvation experience around 14 yeah got baptized for the second time after that in the water mm-hmm, in the water yeah. and um i i really took it seriously for several years i and now i understand what that was all about you know i'm a pretty curious person and i yeah. really dug deep into doctrine i loved reading commentaries and you know, like I liked using a concordance and all the stuff. What is that? It's it is a. I, I am a Jew. You're gonna have to explain it. So <laughs> it would be like, let's say you wanted to read everywhere in the Bible that uh, it mentioned like using tongues or something. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you could find that easily and look at it, okay. and, and it might give you little helpful notes and okay. it's just kind of a study tool. Yeah, got so it. So I was really big into church history and all this stuff, and wow. even at one time, probably around sixteen considered myself a, a Calvinist. Uh-huh. So, you know, I believed in, like, predetermination oh, and yeah. stuff like that. Well, that's sort of uh, uh, an exciting uh, uh, thing to do with your mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kept me out of trouble, you know. Did it? Yeah, for sure. So when um, you say you understand more about it now, what do you look back and think? Well, so... I think that I just really love to understand things, and that's actually what kind of led me out of it. Mm. Um, I was a philosophy major in college. Were you playing music then? Yeah, so um, I started playing guitar around age 15, trying to teach myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But church music? Uh, Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. like praise and worship songs at the youth group and stuff for sure that was where it started uh i mean not not really it would have started earlier i took piano lessons early on Uh in my childhood and just hated it yeah but guitar you kind of dug it guitar i wanted i wanted to you know do that and sit around with people and sing church songs absolutely not no i didn't (laughs) i didn't want to i would i would practice in my in the back bathroom of my house 
away from everyone when everyone was asleep. Mm. I didn't want really anyone to know, like what was like a secret. Too? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh. and that's why for the first several years, especially as a teenager, I had a problem singing with my mouth too closed. And I think it's just because that's the only way I ever practiced. Oh right, singing really low. Right. You know? Were you uh, like, were you embarrassed about it? Or like, I just didn't want anyone confident? to ask me to do it. Oh, oh. You know, she's here with the guitar. Well, yeah. I was, I was asked my entire childhood to sing at church. You know, yeah. as soon as they know you can carry like a slight tune, you're going to be asked to do what they call a special, uh-huh. which is just where you sing a song that's not a hymn. At church, and you that do was that kind of allowed. Mm-hmm. Well, that I mean, you got an amazing voice. Thank you. So you knew that early on. Um, I knew it wasn't bad. No, yeah, but yeah. you could do it. Yeah, did yeah, you I mean, enjoy it? No, you didn't enjoy it once. You, I mean, I understand being asked is nerve wracking, but once you were doing it, you didn't like it. No, it <laughs> took me so long to enjoy performing. Yeah, I it. Yeah, it. I wasn't confident in it, so it was very nerve-wracking for me. So when and how, so you're playing guitar, you're playing, you know, learning these church songs or praise songs. When did you start not playing those? When did it, when did it shift for you? What shifted you out of that kind of c- committed belief well, or engagement? Yeah, I could say that maybe a little of it had to do with music, um, but you know, I started hearing people in my area recording, and I started writing maybe different songs, like a love song or something, nothing that had to do with like God or anything. Uh-huh. And when I was 16, I started recording with a local guy, and yeah. it was like a year process, basically, and nothing ever became of it. Yeah just it was just an interesting situation what were you recording uh some originals yeah mm-hmm. but not god songs um maybe they had you know god undertones uh-huh. some of that but then when i was 18 and trying to figure out if i wanted to go to college because i didn't i signed up for college two weeks before it started and yeah. it messed me up but i i did that because there was a, a local guy near yeah. that college yeah. that he was actually recording stuff that sounded really good. Yeah. And so I wanted to work with him. And I loved pop music, so I started writing pop songs. Oh, yeah? And so I was 18. I, I made a pop record. Like pop pop or country pop? Oh, like pop pop. Uh-huh. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was under my, my great-grandfather's name, yeah. Otto Sharp. Uh-huh. And um, anyway... I started playing, I, I gathered a band and had my first show at this little pizza joint in St. Louis, which is about four hours from where that was. It was uh-huh. my first show in the world. Okay. You know, yeah. at a, at a, like, a club. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, that's when I started, you know, learning some hard lessons about live performances. Yeah. I, I didn't play something right, and I stopped the band and asked them to start all over. Isn't that cute? And I had a girl who was on that bill yeah. come up to me after the show. You know, I was just a kid. In fact, my dad came with me. Yeah, he, w- he didn't want me to go up there with the with the boys by right. myself. Sure, even though I was eighteen. Yeah, but um, this this girl came up to me and said, like, honey. 
yeah. no matter what you do up there, don't ever stop a song and start all over. You keep going. You wow because you feel it i was embarrassed i yeah, mean yeah. you know sure i couldn't hear myself i'd yeah. never played in a venue before sure. and i mean newsflash i still can't hear myself most <laughs> venues to play in. you yeah. just learn how to deal with that right but you know yeah i did that and then i got accepted to play this festival in dewey beach delaware a huh. really big indie with that band with that band yeah. went up there with them yeah and you know at that time i was now um in college yeah and that's which college uh murray state university yeah and so it was there that i think some of my love for for church doctrine and all this stuff for jesus well at that point there were just some real conflicting things in regards to like my sexuality yeah. with that. Yeah. That were conflicting with my beliefs of predetermination. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see that, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so that was a very big question for uh-huh. me. And I would go at my first year of college I was pretty active in some of the churchy youth stuff on uh-huh. campus uh-huh. like the beast uh, baptist student union and yeah. a few others uh-huh. and i would go and and try to have meetings with the leaders uh-huh. and ask them these questions about pre you know predestination yeah um and especially in regards to homosexuality uh-huh and I mean, if you want to watch somebody squirm, you know, just <laughs> you just go and ask, uh, ask them that. Yeah, and and then how did they answer? What did they respond? Because oh if you're coming so up to long. them with a question like that, they know that you must be speaking for yourself, right? So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I can't really remember how exactly they answered me. But I remember the first piece of doctrine that was, you know, kind of a belief of my uh, church uh-huh. that made me start doubting some things. Yeah. I, I really wanted to understand why certain denominations used the idea that you could speak in tongues yeah. and why my church didn't believe that. Uh-huh. And I found some inconsistencies, I thought. Right. And my preacher at the time told me, he was like, you know... I really appreciate your questions, but at some point, like, your faith is going to have to take over. Okay. And yeah, I was like, yeah. all right, well, that's a little bit of a red flag situation. Sure, sure. And so, you know. Don't ask any questions. Yeah, it's yeah. like, mm, you know. Uh-huh. And, um, but in college, when I got into philosophy and started, you know, studying, like, epistemology uh-huh. and, and why we believe things yeah. that we do or all yeah. this stuff, you know. Yeah. I, I found some peace around those things. It, well, when you were able to break it down to the human uh, need to believe. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, what any specific belief was became sort of neutral in a way. Absolutely. Right. In fact, you know, in a in one class in particular, it was epistemology class, I kind of tell people when they ask how I feel about, you know, religion, I say, you know, they're... Um, are a lot of valid arguments, but you know it's hard to prove when something is sound. Like yeah, there's there's sure. few sound arguments. Yeah. So, and I imagine that dealing with uh, sexuality, that it, it it's relatively irreconcilable to those doctrines. Like there's no wiggle room in a lot of them. 
no and and there's you know there's definitely denominations that would would say that's not true mm. when it comes to the bible they would say that um you know my church would would say yeah absolutely no there's yeah. no wiggle room there yeah where my drummer whose parents are presbyterian ministers yeah you know they're not literalist right. when it comes to right, reading right. scripture. Sure. So there's like different camps yeah. within those worlds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because there's oh, lots sure. of yeah. gay Christians sure. that believe the Bible includes them. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just the reality is there's a lot of denominations that believe the Bible does not include them. That's just a fact. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that happened to be the camp that I rolled out of. Right. <laughs> you know? That you left. Yeah. Yeah. So, in doing, like, once you took the philosophy class and once you started to question the predestination business, and, you know, you're playing pop songs, so, and you're starting to deal with your sexuality, that must have been a, a pretty exciting few years. Yeah, that's one way to put it, Mark, you know? Yeah, that's one way to put it. I would say, it. yeah, it, it was a time also because I'd taken, you know, my interpretation of how to act like a Christian so seriously to the point where I quit listening to most all secular music for a time, uh-huh. um, where I limited, like, what I watched or read or yeah. anything in there. Yeah. So when I started working with this producer, his name is Dustin Burnett, and a lot of people may know him as um, he's an artist by the name of Zade Wolf now, uh-huh. and that would come many years after we started working together. But um, he started giving me mixtapes yeah. of, of different CDs, different artists on yeah. there. Where'd you know meet him? Um, I met him by word of mouth. Uh, there were actually... Kelsey Walden, who's a Kentucky artist, had made a record with him and some other local bands, yeah. and it just sounded the, the best yeah. out of the area. So yeah. I wanted to work with him. Yeah. Was that the guy that had, was near the college? Yes. Okay, okay. So that's him. Yeah. And, um, you know, through him, he, he, he shared a lot of, I mean, that's the first time. At this time, you know, he had heard, he had a buddy who... I don't know, worked for some company that showed him like Arcade Fire before Funeral came out or whatever, you know, and stuff like that. So I was hearing indie music, you know, in a, in a way for like the first time Uh really. Oh wow. As, yeah. I mean, I did a little bit in high school, but not much. And it was like Arcade Fire? (laughs) No. I mean, no, it was like, uh, let's see. The White Stripes uh-huh. had like um, Tokyo Police Club. There were a lot of Canadian like bands. Uh-huh. It was the first time I ever heard like Tegan and Sarah. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Back then, so yeah. a lot of pop. Metric is another Canadian artist. Huh. Um, let's see the the Kills. Yeah. Um, oh wow! So you're, that must have been mind blowing. Yeah, there. I mean, there was a lot of of mind blowing stuff. Architecture in Helsinki. Um, it's been so long, obviously, since sure. I listened or thought but about that. But. but when you were coming up, when you were growing up, there was no, you didn't have any secular country music? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> that that period of my life where I told myself that I was going to, you know, like stop certain right. like stuff from entering in my heart. Yeah. Um, 
no, I was raised on old country. I was yeah. raised on top 40 pop country yeah, sure. and also old country yeah. blues. And my dad's like an old rock guy. You oh, know? he is? And so, classic yeah. rock or before? Def- classic rock, both. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But, sure. I mean, he, he really is a music appreciator kind oh, good. of thing. Yeah, for so sure. So you were kind of, in terms of your family, a, a, a little weird with your sort of uh, immersion in the scripture. Yeah, actually I was. I mean, my my parents and and brothers all went to church, but as far as that time being that strict, uh-huh. yeah. Do you think it was a reaction to you realizing your sexuality? I would say there's definitely room for that interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And I mean, it it definitely took a lot of pressure away for like having a serious boyfriend because i was just waiting on the one god was going to send me you know mark <laughs> yeah i know yeah yeah the predetermined one yeah mm-hmm. true love waits mark but uh yeah no there's definitely yeah. elements of that and also something that i didn't actually realize until i was older um i'm diagnosed obsessive compulsive with obsessive compulsive disorder oh and so a lot of times that's, that's a really nice uh, partnering with codependency it really oh, works yeah. really well with codependency oh uh, believe me i know <laughs> and there's not enough medicine in the world to really deal with that <laughs> yeah but um it a lot of my obsessions mm. which religion was one of them doctrine was one of them um make a lot of sense the more i understood myself through the lens of obsessive compulsive disorder oh yeah Mm -hmm. and how what do you where are you at with that now what's uh what's your thing um are you trying not to have things well yeah you're always trying not to have things i mean i've been in therapy for many many years you know i just had therapy today before i showed up on the road uh, on the phone. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, COVID kind of opened up a lot of laws around that kind of thing. Sure. But, um, yeah, I pretty much have to do it always remote now. Yeah. And, and is that was that a therapist you used to see in person? Mm-hmm. In, uh, so it's uh, uh, someone in, near your hometown? Uh, actually, in Nashville. Okay. When I lived there, I started seeing her. I've been with her for almost, I guess it's going on four years now. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Oh, best thing good for take good for you taking care of yourself oh my goodness well i've I've seen i saw a lot of 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 therapists before that but as far as the ocd thing goes you know i would say depending people have a lot of misconceptions around Uh obsessive compulsive disorder Uh one um you don't necessarily like to clean or keep things tidy or whatever it's a compulsion yeah there's anxiety behind that that makes you have to do that yeah um also a lot of it is just in your head with like um obsessive thoughts sure images that's why i was going to say when you were recommending that movie earlier i don't watch films and it's to protect myself um, from things like that so from repeating them in your mind over and over again yeah so i have to really really protect myself from certain images i don't i don't like to watch things that evoke anxiety much right right and um it's always kind of an awkward conversation to be around people who are like in you know film or whatever to say never probably watched your show i i became (laughs) i became pen pals with um paul schrader and what in the in the pandemic what the fuck is how is that out of all the people 
<laughs> Paul Schrader, yeah. the, 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 the great explorer of toxic masculinity, is your pal? <laughs> well, <laughs> so listen to this. So yeah. a friend from back home, I was on Facebook or something and, yeah. and shared that Paul had... Uh, had been sharing space and time i saw a song of mine from uh-huh. my album old time feeling yeah and i don't know who paul schrader is sure i sure didn't right then <laughs> and but this guy posted he was like great to see one of my favorite screenwriters post one of my favorite artists or something like that and so i looked him up and i sent it to my manager and yeah. i was like do y'all know who this person is or whatever and of course all my friends knew who paul Schrader is the taxi driver and all this stuff but i had never heard of it and never seen any of his movies yeah so you know i reached out and thanked him for sharing my stuff or whatever and uh he gave me his email or whatever and we started you know he's he's an interesting story and conversation but um heavy stuff yeah at, at one point i um you know, he asked me if I'd seen his movie. I think it's The Light Sleeper. And, of course, <laughs> I, I call my manager. I'm like, oh, God, here it is. This is the moment that I tell apparently this important uh, screenwriter guy that yeah, I yeah. don't watch movies yeah. and I don't plan to. Yeah. So I did. Uh, yeah. You know, I had the choice. I was either going to lie and say, yeah, I've watched it and just like, yeah. what is it imbd and that the thing yeah. you look at yeah. movies yeah but no i told him i was just like listen i don't watch i don't watch movies i'll watch it if you tell me where the scary part is or whatever oh, yeah. but whatever and yeah i ended up doing that and was uh it's not a scary movie really well that part where the, the guy pulls out his tooth or oh, so, like i saw yeah, that yeah. come oh, yeah. in and okay. i was just like i can't handle that <laughs> stuff you yeah, know yeah, and yeah. i you know some of paul's scores are kind of heavy. scary yeah, yeah. and heavy i think and, he wrote one of the exorcists mm. uh he might have written and directed like the second or third one i've watched i just watched one of his movies night before last actually uh blue collar the one with richard pryor and harvey keitel and yafet koto but like it's you just never the, seen it. yeah I know I didn't expect <laughs> you to but you know well so how does this relationship then evolve from me telling you I've never watched and I never will watch your movies really well, you watched Light Sweeper I watched that and um, you know he we we just kind of talked about we we shared playlists back and okay. forth together oh, that's nice yeah. and um, you know he's got a I mean he's been around a while he knows sure. a lot of people oh yeah and. Um, was just a good story okay and um but i and he he asked me to sing on um his newest film he's got one coming out uh the card counter yeah i saw that i sang on that you did i did oh, i good. went up to new york and i sang on that and then uh i'm trying to remember the song an original and different one or one of yours no it's not one of mine um okay robert bean did the score for that and i was, went to manhattan and, and sang oh i'm not gonna have to go watch that I, did you watch that movie that gets a little violent yeah you know when you're doing that you kind of get to see before yeah. uh the final cut and uh-huh. stuff but yes yeah, it's, it's pretty violent it's it's hard for yeah. me yeah. I, I mean yeah people love his movies and I, I did learn things about you he's know he's very specific he's very specific yeah. and um well, good. Yeah, so I learned about that. But anyway, all, and you were able to do some soundtrack work. Which a little is bit, good. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's cool. But yeah, all to say, uh, yeah, sometimes trying to explain to people how I have to protect myself with the mental illness sure. thing yep. can get a little awkward, and people don't really 
get what what that means for me in hmm. any particular moment you know well i think that's the same with even you know codependency sometimes you know to, to really oh, yeah. if people don't have these things they you know it, it they 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 don't have the capacity for empathy with it like mm-hmm. you know you're just talking like wow well that, that sounds terrible you know like, yeah yeah but i mean ocd even in a mild way like it's for me it, it i don't have it in any you know pathological way but i've got enough addiction in me to know that weird kind of need for closure and perfectionism yeah that, that's how it happens with me like yeah. i need answers and i also need you to make this right yeah i i totally understand that i think it's really difficult navigating that in a you know touring yeah it's it's really difficult. It's a very uncomfortable. Well, if you get locked thing. in on something that you you can't get uh, satisfaction around. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll have depending on my anxiety level, I can really sink into some germ issues. Oh, really? On a good day and through therapy, you know, CBT therapy and, yeah. and different forms, um, I've learned to be able to sit with certain things. Yeah. But if I'm in a really stressful situation or I've had a long period of time where I've had stress build up, yeah things shift you know i i I might get you know right now at my level on like as in my career Uh i mean i need to be crashing on people's floors not spending money on one hotel room for five people right even you know (laughs) that's the reality of the finances yeah um but when that happens i know that all those other people's feet have been in that shower or outside of the shower or yeah. are leaving the yeah. toilet seat up when they're pissing yeah that kind of stuff like or you know looking back in the pillow i brought in the van a bandmate is laying its head yeah. his head on it yeah. like these kind of things like can make my skin crawl sometimes if i'm in a state yeah of real anxiety yeah you know so those there's a lot that is conflicting with that because sometimes when I'm, I would say healthy, yeah, I can deal with that. Yeah, you right, know? sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes when I'm not, it's terrible. Well, I think it's like sadly, it's the way your brain finds uh, is grounds itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if, if things seem out of control, you know, lock into the pillow, you know, a hundred percent. And I I mean, that actually just happened recently. And and that's where also the codependency thing collides, because uh. because, you know, my sweet little bandmate, Mikey, didn't know that I was my skin was crawling when I saw that. Yeah. And it's hard to say something like, get your head off my pillow. You know, it's like he doesn't have a nasty head it's not gonna really do anything (laughs) right but that's not what was signaled to my brain right right right. and so did you get copper resentment no i i mean i yeah threw something at him mark no uh (laughs) no i just you know i i think sometimes like i think i I did a joke or something at one point when we got out and got back in i like maybe put it in the middle of the two front seats and i was like (sighs) mikey this is this is mine, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. but there's, and, and a lot of people, like when I was first diagnosed OCD or, or they were suspecting there was some stuff going on, mm. you know, one of the things they ask you when you're like getting diagnosed with something or going through like a psych evaluation, yeah. how many hours a day do you spend on this? Yeah. 
And when you add in codependency to something like this, yeah, you know, now I'm thinking, all right, here's the way to solve this. Bring a garbage bag, put the pillow in the garbage bag, and like, you know, it'll be a signal to everyone, like, don't, don't take the pillow yeah, yeah. Right. out of the garbage bag. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you're sure. always having to think of ways yeah. to avoid troubleshoot conflict yeah. and anxiety in yourself and Both. everything. So the codependency is trying to avoid conflict, and the obsessive compulsive is the anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's full time job. It is a full time job, and that that's the point, and that's why, like you know, certain people like myself need medication. And we got to get you into a better hotel situation. I mean, I need to sell some records for that to happen, but <laughs> okay. yes, I would I would uh love that. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's uh yeah. in this world we live in, it's funny, you know, with the streaming and stuff. Um you know, I might get obsessed on a song and listen to it 150 times to give an artist a sale, but I'm guessing a lot of people's brains don't work that way. I don't know. <laughs> I like I you're you know, I get a lot of records and your first record just, you know, cut right through me. I don't know. Thank you. Know, you. I, I, I you know, I love it and I I love the second record. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I don't uh, you know, I don't know why, but I I felt very connected to the uh emotions of it and and because it's weird, I you know, like I had to sit down with it today, both of them. Because I'm not like fully a lyric guy, you know. Like I just, yeah. I just hear feelings, mm-hmm. and I hear it's not even it, melody; it's tone and feelings coming through. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not that I don't like voice; I like voice, but I have a hard time focusing on lyrics, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to sit with them today, you know, when I was going to talk to you, and so I, I at least was informed of the poetry and could take what I could from it. That's cool. <laughs> you I know, appreciate that more. Yeah, no, but I—I I mean, I remember when I first got the record, and I don't know what makes people buy records or what makes people, you know, m- moved by records. But um, there was something, you know, I—I I can't. I, it feels to me that whatever you're doing when you write your songs or when you sing them, uh, that that that's a, a totally open zone for you somehow. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't because like now just talking to you and seeing how your brain works, it it, it must be a real sort of uh, portal to some sort of freedom for you. Definitely, but at the same time, it may be the one area where I think um, maybe the obsessive compulsive disorder really pays off. You know, the song you mentioned earlier, um, "If You Were Someone I Love." Yeah, that song was written over the course of probably. Uh, five or six years i'm not like a factory when it comes to writing my one belief and about songs in general yeah like you know i can't lean on a, a incredibly interesting chord progression that's out of my wheelhouse and i won't yeah. claim to no but if i remember something uh-huh then i think it's meant to and it, it, it sticks around uh-huh. then i think there's something to that and i chase it for a long time That's until great. i get it right yeah i i do the same with material cuz i don't mm-hmm. you know i'm not i'm not making things to sell it, it's not my intent yeah i'm moving through things uh emotionally and mentally yeah exactly and like i'll i'll do i'll have an idea and I'll have enough of it to get a laugh or to land it. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes they take years to resolve themselves and to mm-hmm. kind of, I just keep putting them together. Yep. Yeah, that sounds a lot like my progress, oh, yeah. or my process. Yeah. I mean, there, there are songs that took years and years to write and 
maybe there's one little part that it started with, but especially when it comes to lyrics, if you have the idea for the music and the lyrics aren't matching the feeling of that, then you didn't say everything you needed to say. And with with that song in particular, just the overall theme of it, it was really hard to believe that I said everything I needed to say with that. And that's when the acapella part came. I was driving home from the studio. That wasn't written over the course of many years. That was after a night at the studio. It was studio. like a, a coda, like a, yeah. like a part where, because it almost like, the thing it reminds me of is like something like, like, oh, death. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like something that comes Rap down Stanley from that place. stuff. Yeah I, yeah, I don't I don't know who did that. I don't know what version of that I know. It was probably something from the T-Bone Burnett record or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think Camper Van Beethoven covered it even. But it's an old thing that speaks of, you mm-hmm. know, a, a direct kind of conversation with the idea of it. And there's, yeah. a, there's that darkness in that song. Yeah, it is. And, I, and the funny thing, probably about three years before that came up, I had written a little note to myself that I really wanted to write a song about the Kildee Bird and it's spelled kill deer. Yeah. But we say kill D where I'm from. Yeah. Oh, it's a bird? It's a bird. Well, that other song the with the with the kill D bird in there is like a great song on that first is that uh, on the first if record? If it ain't with me, babe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's on the second record or the... on the first record. Yeah. Right. If it ain't with me, babe. That's the one that's sort of like feeling. Yeah, it's sort of like uh like a, a little townsy a little towns van Zant feeling to yeah. it. I I'm I love towns. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's like some heavy shit. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. I can barely listen to him sometimes because it's too yeah. heavy for me. It is really heavy. <laughs> it is. I just hear it in his voice. It's not even what he's saying. Well, it's definitely not the music because some of the music's kind of like. I just. It's his tone. Goofy. Like I can't. Like it's just the weight of his of his spirit. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but I felt I felt that you must like him. Yeah, I do. Yeah. On the drive out here, you know, it's like 17 hours, 17 and a half hours of Santa Fe. That was where my first show was on this run. I grew up in New Mexico. Which part? Albuquerque. I uh, drove through it. Yeah. But um, that was, we didn't play there this time. 17 hours? Uh, from were, Kentucky? From uh, Santa Fe or out here? Oh. Um, or what were you listening to? I was. You're, I think you're about to say Yeah, something. yeah. I went through. I'd, I'd never done it before. I, you know, of course, I've listened to Lucinda oh, yeah. Williams. Um, oh, yeah. But She's another one. I've, you know, yeah. went back and, and tried to listen to albums that I hadn't before. But I, I have an obsession with the year 1971 in music. And I listened to a lot of... Uh, the, there was just a million great albums put out in that year. Interesting. Link Ray. Yeah. You ever listened to sure. his self-titled yeah. album from 1971? Yeah. 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 You know, with the I, big side of his head mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, with the, it, with Fire the and Brimstone, yeah. Jukebox Mama. Oh, those yeah. Those, those, like, those records almost sound like Stone's records. Those two he did. The one, the Barn record, and then that one. Great yeah, record. I mean, but the way he delivers lines yeah. and stuff is amazing too. Yeah. And <clears throat> you know, there was just something really special to me about that year. Some yeah. amazing records came out. Is that when Karen's album came out? Mm-hmm. <sighs> that one. Did oh. you watch that? You gotta watch that doc. Did you watch it? Yeah, doc? I haven't watched the doc. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. but it it gives it tells you about her. Like I didn't know anything about her, mm-hmm. you know, and that whole scene up there in the hills, mm-hmm. what, you know, down the street from Tim Harden and those other cats. I just don't know how those at that year, at that era, that everyone was just sitting around shooting dope, 
Like yeah. the, like people smoke cigarettes. I mean, yeah. have you ever seen anyone shoot dope? It's no. heavy. Yeah. I mean, you can't just be in a room like oh, I guess there's just going to be some dope shooting over there. Yeah. But it just but that's the way it was, man. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't imagine. I'm just on the road, I'm just searching for a salad sometimes to get, you know, it's like... Have, be thankful. Have, be grateful yeah, every day. Yeah. It's like it's, having it's, a... Um, yeah. Where can I get something healthy in this town? Yeah. Laura bars on the rider doesn't cut it, you know? No. Believe uh, me. Like, sometimes, like, I just had to give in. You know, Louisville. I didn't eat well in Louisville. Yeah. I can't imagine, Mark. Yeah. But, uh, so, so what would you say, in like, just in... in in a lot of these songs, like, okay, so the new one, Keeper of the Time, like, because, like, I, I can I can have an experience with words, hmm. but these words are very, you know, deliberate, and they're, you know, and they're, they're, they're not a story necessarily, but they're evocative, mm-hmm. but I don't know necessarily where they come from. Yeah. What is that? What is the Keeper of the Time? That song seems like a heavy song. Yeah, that I mean, that's just about how trauma gets stored in the body. Well, that one, yeah, that that you one, know, yeah, that, that maybe. so that one's like. But do you like? Are you somebody that have? Do you have that trauma? Yes, in your yeah. body from way back. Yeah, mm. I've I've done uh, EMDR. And, I did and different Things you know, and I, I think through that experience is is, is kind of how I came to that song for sure. Uh, just understanding more about it. And understanding maybe, I guess, a person's capacity for burying stuff within themselves, too. When did it happen? When? The trauma? Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would probably say, you know, there was just a lot of trauma around the time, like, I was was coming out. Oh, okay. Like, came out in the world and stuff like that. So okay. So, there was, yeah, yeah, there was a lot so it's of... That, so, it's new. So, it's not, like, yeah, some weird kind of, like... 20s. Oh, okay. You know, 20s. I was six years old in my, you no. know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so it's, like... You, it's, it's tangible. Like a, yeah, you tangible. can track it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think EMDR works better when you can really track it. For sure. Where yeah. you're like, this is what happened. Let's do that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when people are talking about like their inner child and how you were taught to love or whatever, that that might be a little hard to separate because you know that was so long ago sure understanding that part of yourself sure. i feel like takes a lot of work but yeah right. if trauma is more close to you yeah i think you can more easily identify it and, um, and help yourself yeah because yeah. the stuff that happens in childhood you know sometimes it comes i think comes back in flashes and 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 some of that kind of stuff really kind of rewires who you are and who you could have been yeah and, and so you you know to unpack that stuff is yeah and gnarly. for survival you dissociate and you purposefully right. forget, yeah. you know, so it's memory's a weird thing like that. But yours is like relatively fresh. Yeah, it'll be relatively fresh for yeah. sure. Yeah. But so. all in all, in terms of the experience now post coming out, you feel comfortable and good? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm totally comfortable with who I am. It's it's strange talking to people about it uh-huh. because I, you know, in my current situation and for many years, I don't have like a huge queer community around me. Yeah. I live in a rural place. Most of all of my friends are straight. Yeah. So you know, now all of a sudden that a lot of journalists and things want to talk about my sexuality, I'm finding it yeah. a little hard because I don't have a lot of practice in that, and I don't really, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't really find it 
super relevant. And of course, I will always advocate for yeah. my existence and others like me. Sure. And thank God for people. And I don't want to, you know, dishonor people who've come before me right. who make it safe for me to sit here yeah. saying this. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of it as far as being a musician and talking and having my sexuality front and center with like certain things yeah of course there's certain songs that might have to deal do with that sure. you know deal yeah. with that but it's not who i am as an entire person or right. something so sometimes when when it comes to press and it's just all about they want to know certain things about yeah. sexuality it feels like i am involved in trauma porn well yeah and that's hard for me. And also, like, it, it is, you know, once it's like that old, who was it? It was a Descartes or Kierkegaard, I don't know who said it, but, you know, once you label me, you, you diminish me. Mm. So, like, you know, and it kind of context, it, it compartmentalizes. Yeah, well, it's you. kind of like you're always through a lot of questions about your sexuality. Like, they might say, well, we're wanting to uh, give representation. Well, at the same time, you're also othering me. That's right. And that's like a, a thing that I, I don't feel like people really think about that much when it comes to the focus of of a piece, especially when it comes to someone who's an artist. I don't really think the people, you know, in the 60s were like, we're going to stick our necks out so that, you know, future generations yeah. can continuously other themselves. That's not the point. No. You know? And also, I think like, you know, even in both records, this this these are not anthems of of uh, of gay life, you know, in, no. in this. You, I mean, you, they're all they're 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 some of them are very kind of, you know, longing songs they're kind of like you know painful love songs some of them yeah and, and we can't relate to that of course yeah and you once know? you start talking too much maybe about it or being othered then the identification becomes uh that's going to be the identification with the records before anyone even listens to them yeah it's just like oh she's a rural queer southerner and uh <laughs> by the way she makes music and you can find it here on this <laughs> platform but you know i'll say this as much as it might be for me a personal decision to you know or or rather say yeah. it might be out of my comfort zone to focus on that yeah um i don't find it relevant to me i understand as a person who had no queer people in positions of authority or in respectable roles uh -huh. around them as yeah. a kid representation does matter sure it's just you know sometimes i'm not really sure if the world's ready for my type which, well i think like know. there's nothing wrong with uh with uh you know relatively uh uh um uh, uh decisive and somewhat quiet queer representation and, well, it's just, and, and like, just being able to go like listen the records you know I mean, it's just it's a it's a part of who I am that I'm yeah. not ashamed of in right. any way, and it's like, but there are things about uh, I don't think sometimes the queer community understands that the like what people I don't know sometimes think of as the queer experience yeah. is not mine. Yeah. I'm not, it, it, there's no metro normativity here. Yeah. I don't live in a city. Yeah. I've never had a large group of gay people. I don't go to gay, I've been to one gay club in my life. Uh-huh. You know, I yeah. mean, and 
I don't like parades. I'll never go <laughs> to a pride parade. Like, how dangerous yeah. is that? Like, yeah. I would freak out. Like, yeah. I've been to one big parade in my life, Crew de Vue in New Orleans. Yeah. And I had a terrible time. I was scared the whole time. <laughs> Anxiety. Like, I know, yeah, I know I play in front of a lot of people sometimes, but I'm on stage and I know where the back door is. Sure. I'm not going out there. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff about what people, how people think you should be out. Yes that is not me right it doesn't mean i give a shit about what you do right. i don't that's right, you're right. yeah but i just it's not me yeah you just, know? yeah yeah let me do my thing yeah yeah it's just me and know? and 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 you do it I'm, i just the the songs you, you know about about love about loss and about you know moments uh that reveal things that are surprising and also you know social activism is definitely on both records i mean about rich and poor yeah. about exploitation yeah and that's you know i think that's something about myself and something i deeply care about with more than talking about my sexuality sure. It's you about, know, you know, how, you know, exploitation. A hundred percent. Corporate farming, even. That, that's yeah. in there. You know, a lot of these things are, they're really complicated. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, listen, the South is our best friend and our own worst enemy at times. Like, yeah. You know, certain stereotypes are yeah. true, but there's a lot of misrepresentation mm. for rural places and rural people. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be a poster child for, you know, rural areas or something like that. But it, I do find it important to let people know who, you know, want to, you know, basically exile people from the South or yeah. whatever, that there's a lot of good work being done there. Sure. And we should pay attention to what's happening in the South because it's a good idea of really what's it's the soul of the country, you know. Yeah. If the soul sick, so is the body. And that's sure. been that's what i believe and so i always like to talk about as an insider yeah to that life yeah you know what i see well um, i every time it's like i'm always you know having you know been kind of you know uh uh I wouldn't say well, I grew up in New Mexico, but I I'm I, I, a you know progressive person who does comedy, who has you know certainly heard and maybe at some point in my life you know stereotyped Southerners. But I, mm -hmm. I every time I go down there, I am like deeply enchanted with people, with the place, mm -hmm. with being there. I mean, every time as I've gotten older, I I've let go of all of that. Mm -hmm. There's no way to generalize about yeah. the South. It's it's very complex very complex mm -hmm. it's just the same thing you know we were talking earlier about my upbringing in the church every negative thing i could say about institutional religion uh -huh. or whatever is it institutional or institutionalized what would that be uh i think it's institutional whatever everything negative yeah. Yeah. that i could say about the church i could say something positive especially in relation to rural communities uh-huh they're the local welfare. Sure. They help people survive. They they provide a sense of community, a right. social and they help people. thing. They help people. Yeah. And that's something it's like I, I don't really I, I I don't really like for people to just slam the church yeah. in front of me because it's like actually as a person who can speak, you know, some truth around like some bad parts I can also do that about some good parts, sure. and that's that's a part of that complexity there. Yeah, if 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 service is 
righteous and a part of it, you, you know, and it's not exclusionary. It, it's very important to community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, unfortunately, it's like even if it is ex- exclusive, sure. you know. Yeah. If it's feeding people that are hungry, yeah. like you can still say when something is good, yeah, too, sure, you know, yeah, I, of course, yeah, yeah, it's hard, yeah, no, but, no, I get it, know. I get it, no, I get it, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, if you can call it, a good even, thing good. even if they're just feeding their own, yeah, <laughs> people yeah. need to eat, yeah, exactly, yeah. just yeah. you know, I get it, yeah, it's very complicated, and you love it living down there. I do. I'm struggling over here. It's dryness. Good Lord. <laughs> Terrible. Y'all just walking around suffering. I, it's Yeah, I know. Believe me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to plan my escape. Yeah. Maybe well, I'll come to Kentucky. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Anytime you want to be shown around, I'll, sh- I'll show you some pretty places. It's a, it's a gorgeous state. But yeah, I do love the South. I love, you know, I love the pace. Yeah. I love the humidity. Yeah. I... I think, you know, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I I I've, I've been a lot of places at this point sure. and I think it's uh you know, yeah. Kentucky and Tennessee to me are their own special kind of beauty. And and you know? like and the amazing thing is is that you know, given that that pace and and how your creativity works and the time you put in, I mean, you can hear it in all of the music, the place where you come from and it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Thank you. It was good, uh, good talking to you. Well, thanks for having me. You feel, Appreciate you feel. It. Does it feel whole? You feel complete? Do we do it? I think so. If you feel like that, I think we did. Yeah, good. It was a good talk. I'm gonna take you up on the Kentucky thing. Hey, honestly, my house is empty. You can stay there. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'll let you know. Go for it. Thanks. There you go. Go get that record. I liked it. I liked that. That was an interesting story. Christianity, OCD, uh, gayness. So it's powerful. It's a powerful trinity. I, uh, I, I, put, I beg you. I don't beg you, but I, I implore you, or I, I recommend highly that you go get that record, Teeth Marks, which is available wherever uh, you get your music. You can also go to sggoodman.net for her tour dates, music, and videos. All right, so let's... Uh, Let's all just stay here for a second. Just just hang out. Relax. Hey, look. Listen. For full Marin subscribers, we posted the latest Ask Mark Anything this week. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. And if you're a subscriber, you can hear if I answered yours. If you're not subscribed, go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus or go to the link in the episode description right there in your podcast player. All right. On Monday show, I talked to Simu Lu. I just gave that a little uh, old school radio. And Simu Lu. Yes. That was a good conversation, actually. I'm in Tucson, Arizona at the Rialto Theater on September 16th. Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live on September 17th. Boulder, Colorado at the Boulder Theater on September 22nd. Fort Collins, Colorado at the Lincoln Center on September 23rd and Toronto, Ontario at the Queen Elizabeth Theater on September 30th and October 1st. I'll be in London, England at the Bloomsbury Theater Saturday and Sunday, October 22nd and 23rd. I'll be back in Dublin, Ireland at Vicker Street Wednesday, October 26th. 
I have dates in November and December in Oklahoma City, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Asheville, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all the dates and ticket info. Again, those tickets for my HBO special taping on December 8th at the Town Hall in New York City are available there as well. Pre-sale tickets today uh, through uh, 10 o'clock tonight. The uh, code is TIME, T-I-M-E. I would go with all caps on that. And tickets are on sale to the general public starting tomorrow, Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Here's some guitar. Did this in one take. You could probably tell. Fonda, cat angels everywhere. (laughs) 